Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. series that we've been in. Uh, It has been called You Asked For It, and we have been answering all of the questions that you guys have been asking. In other words, you put us in the hot seat quite a bit, asking us questions like, should women submit? Boy, that's a good one, right? If you missed it, it's online. I see the husband's getting real excited. If you missed it, it's online. What does the Bible say about homosexuality, abortion, all sorts of questions we've been answering. One that we just had was, is God a Democrat or a Republican? Go check that out. I'm telling you, um, I know this weekend, what what do I do when I feel fear? That one's going on at South End. Lake Norman, what does the Bible say about angels and demons? Are they real? Today... Here at Central Campus, we have in Dr. Frank Turek, because the question you guys wanted to know is, how do I even know that God really exists? I mean, how do I know God is real? Anybody ever had that thought or question before in your life, right? So we thought, rather than us answer that, what if we got the one and only Brainiac himself with more degrees than you have fingers and toes. What if we got Dr. Frank Turek to come in and answer that question? And here's what he's going to do. I want to tell you about his background. He's, he teaches apologetics. So not only does he teach a course, he has a radio show. He goes around college campuses and he gives an open mic for people to ask questions whatever questions they want to ask. So you're going to hear some great wisdom today. I encourage you to be a note taker because note takers are history makers, right? So take notes, pull your phones out, um, make sure this message will go live tonight. Um, So if your friends missed, make sure they can watch at 7 p.m. or you can forward the message to them. But it's very important for us to make sure that people are getting the gospel right now because there's a lot of people that are confused because of all that's going on in our world and our society right now. Would you agree? So jump up to your feet, Freedom House. Give a big round of excitement and applause to Dr. Frank Turek. Thanks, Ben. Hello, Freedom House. 
I want to go back to September 29th, 2006. That's when Petty Officer Michael Monsor is a United States Navy SEAL. He's operating in Ramadi, Iraq. He's standing on a roof in Ramadi, and he's standing in front of a doorway to this roof. And he has two Navy SEAL teammates lying in the sniper-prone position next to him. They've already taken AK-47 fire and a rocket-propelled grenade, but they're not exactly sure where the enemy is. There's a bit of a lull in the fighting. Insurgents have blocked off the streets in Ramadi, and there's someone on the loudspeaker in the town mosque yelling, Kill the Americans! As Monsor and his team are looking for the next attack, an insurgent from an unknown location throws a grenade up on the roof. It hits Monsor in the chest, and it falls to his feet. Due to the length of the throw, there's no opportunity to pick it up and throw it back. He has only a split second to make a decision. He can leap through the doorway behind him and save himself. But if he does, his two Navy SEAL teammates lying on the roof will surely die. Monsor yells, Grenade! But instead of jumping backwards to save himself, he jumps forward chest first onto the grenade. It detonates. 30 minutes later, 25-year-old Michael Monsor is dead. His two colleagues lying on the roof receive only minor injuries because Monsor's body muffled the blast. One of the survivors said at Monsor's funeral, Mikey looked death in the face that day and said, you will not take my friends, I will go in their stead. I've never seen a United States president cry until April of 2008. That's when President George W. Bush invited Monsor's parents into the East Room of the White House to give their son's Medal of Honor to them posthumously. The president couldn't even get through the citation without breaking down. Since then, Monsoor's High School in Garden Grove, California built a new stadium. They named it Michael A. Monsoor Memorial Stadium. The golden trident insignia that the SEALs wear dominates the 50-yard line. January 2019, year and a half ago, just outside of San Diego, California, the United States Navy commissioned the USS Michael Monsoor the newest guided missile destroyer in the fleet, Zumwalt class. This is Monsor's mother, Sally, being escorted onto the ship, named in honor of her fallen son. Now, why did they do this? Because Michael Monsor literally sacrificed himself to save his friends. There's no greater love than to sacrifice yourself to save your friends. Michael Monsor sacrificed himself to save his friends. The question is, would anybody sacrifice himself to save you? And the answer is, someone already has. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. But in today's culture, many people don't think the story's true. They think it's invented. After all, it was written down by religious people. Don't religious people embellish things and make things up? 
And it's got miracles in it. It's got a resurrection. Who in here has seen a resurrection? I haven't. How can we believe in such a thing? Do we even believe in miracles anymore? Well, I actually think it's quite easy to show that Christianity is true. You only need to answer four questions in the affirmative to show that it's true. In other words, if you investigate these four questions, I think you'll realize that the answer to these four questions is yes. And if the answer to these four questions is yes, then Christianity is true, including the fact that God exists, as Penny just said. What are the four questions? Here are the four questions. That's actually from our TV show, which is on every Wednesday nights on DirecTV. There it is. <laughs> Delayed reaction. If you have DirecTV, channel 378. If you don't have DirecTV, it's on Roku. And it's also on our app. We have a cross-examined app. It's on the Internet. You can watch it there. Uh, we're on radio every Saturday morning, as uh, Penny said, although... It's not on in Charlotte, but it is podcasted, so you can listen to it anytime you want. It's called the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast. And what we do is present evidence for Christianity, and we cross-examine ideas against it on that podcast. Now, why are these the four questions? Truth, God, miracles, and the New Testament. And this is going to serve as our outline here this morning from about 30,000 feet, because we don't have time to get into the details. Uh, but we're just going to take a view of 30,000 feet over these four questions. Why are these the four questions? How about truth? Does truth exist? Why is that important? Because you hear people saying things in our culture today like, there is no truth, or you got your truth, I got my truth, or all truth is relative. Well, look, if there is no truth, obviously Christianity can't be true. Of course, if there is no truth, atheism couldn't be true either, right? I mean, nothing could be true if there's no truth. So we're going to deal with that question first. Second question, does God exist? Why is that important? Because you can't have a word from God if there's no God. Christianity can't be true. If there's no God, if Jesus, how could Jesus rise from the dead if there's no God? So God must exist. We're going to briefly look at three arguments. I'm just going to mention these arguments here today because we have limited time to show you that God does exist. The third question is, are miracles possible? Why is that important? Because people say, well, miracles don't occur. And if miracles don't occur, Christianity can't be true. Why? Because the resurrection is the central miracle in the New Testament. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then... Christianity can't be true. So we've got to see if miracles are possible. And I submit to you that not only are miracles possible, but the greatest miracle in the Bible has already occurred, and even atheists are admitting the evidence for this miracle. Then we're going to get to the key question, is the New Testament true? The New Testament doesn't have a prayer if there's no truth, no God, or no miracles. But if truth exists, if God exists, if miracles are possible, then we can see if the New Testament documents are reliable enough historically to let us know whether one event from the ancient world took place, and that event would be the resurrection. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, game over, Christianity is true. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, game over, it's false. You might as well sleep in on Sunday and do what you want the rest of the week. As I see many of you have slept in on Sunday because you're not here. You're watching online, right? Okay. But Christianity can't be true if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Okay? So that's the key fact. Now, there's a lot more 
than we can cover here this morning. So if you want to go further, the book is available on the book table, as well as a 12-part DVD set that people use for curriculum. You can get workbooks with it as well. It's like seven hours long. And then there's a newer book out there called Stealing from God. Now, Christians, Christians, this book, Stealing from God, is not about tithing, okay? It points out that when atheists are trying to argue there is no God, they actually have to steal aspects of reality that would only exist if God existed in order to say he doesn't exist. In other words, atheists have to sit in God's lap to slap his face. And that's what that book is about. Now, if you want this entire PowerPoint presentation, I can't show you the whole thing because we don't have time, but just type the word evidence, no quotes on it, just the word evidence, to 44222. Text that word evidence to 44222. I'm going to send you this entire PowerPoint presentation in a PDF. I'll send you the first chapter, Stealing from God, and some other free stuff. All right? Now, we're going to go through this material quickly. So uh, you might be able to tell that I'm not originally from here. I'm originally from New Jersey, which means I speak at 150 words a minute with gusts to 350. So you cannot listen in Southern. All right? <laughs> you got to speed it up. Penny said, you got to take notes. You might not be able to do it. I'll send you the PowerPoint, all right? But let's start right here at point one. Does truth exist? Freedom House, you ready to go? All right. Freedom House, you ready to go? All right, good. All right, so the first question is, does truth exist? And whenever you start talking about truth, you always have to start with Jack Nicholson. Right? Because Tom Cruise had him on the witness stand, and he said to him, Colonel, I want the truth. And Nicholson said... Penny, they're weak this morning. Come on. If they had said it that way, the movie would have gone nowhere. You can't handle that. That's not how he said it. Here's how he said it. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. All right, let's try that again. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Now, that felt better, didn't it? Didn't that feel better? Well, there's a lot of people that can't handle the truth. They're saying, you got your truth. I got my truth. All truth is relative. Well, look, if you don't get anything else out of what we talk about here today, this is going to be the most important thinking skill that we're going to talk about. In fact, it's the most important thinking skill I've ever learned, and it's so simple. Let me just show it to you by example. If someone were to come up to you and say, there is no truth, you should ask that person a question. What should the question be? Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> That's good. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> no, if somebody says there is no truth, you can say, is that true? Is it true that there's no truth? Because if it's true that there's no truth, the claim there is no truth can't be true, but it claims to be true. Did I say that right? I know that can give you intellectual constipation if you think about it long enough, but that's because this is a self-defeating statement. What's a self-defeating statement? A self-defeating statement is a statement that doesn't meet its own standard. It would be like me saying I can't speak a word in English. If I were to say that, what would you say? You just used English, right? Anybody claiming there's no truth is claiming it's true there's no truth. So here's the thinking skill. All you need to do is turn the claim on itself. Turn the claim on itself. So somebody says there's no truth, you turn the claim on itself, and you ask, is that true? How about, how about if someone says all truth is relative? Turn the claim on itself. You're going to say, is that a relative truth? No, that's an absolute truth. But you just claimed all truth is relative. Or if someone says there are no absolutes, if you turn the claim on itself, what would you say back? Is that an absolute? Or you might say you're absolutely sure. Or if somebody says you can't know anything. What are you going to say? How do you know that you can't know? 
right? Or somebody says you should doubt everything. What should you say? Should I doubt that? I mean, why are you skeptics? Skeptical of everything but skepticism. You ever notice that? They're not skeptical of skepticism. They think it's true. Or how about if somebody says all truth comes from science? You probably heard this, right? Turn the claim on itself. Somebody says all truth comes from science. You're going to say, is that a scientific truth? No, that's a philosophical claim. You can't go in the laboratory and prove that. In fact, in the book Stealing from God, there's a chapter on science. Here's the title of the chapter. Science doesn't say anything. Scientists do. Right? Science doesn't say a word, right? Scientists say things. And a lot of times they're saying things based on their philosophical commitment to atheism. So they look at the data and they interpret the data in such a way as to rule out intelligence. It can't be intelligence out there. Why? Because there's no God. How do you know? Because I said so, right? So science doesn't say a word. In fact, most of the stuff that you know and... Most of the stuff that's important to you has nothing to do with science. Honey, do you love me? I don't know. Let's run an experiment. No! <laughs> the most important things in life don't have anything to do with science. Or how about this? You hear this said all the time. This is the biggie in our culture. You ought not judge. Someone says you ought not judge. What should you say? Turn the claim on itself. Yeah, you might say, isn't that a judgment? Or why are you judging me for judging? See, because that's what they're doing. You might say, wait a minute, Frank, didn't Jesus say don't judge? Nope, never said it. Sure he did. He said it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. I know this is going to sound a little strange, but it's true. There are no verses in the Bible. Someone comes up to you and says, I got a verse for you. You should go, time out. What does this verse mean? Because the verse, the chapter and verse divisions came about 500 years ago to help us navigate the text. I mean, Matthew wasn't writing, here's Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, right? <laughs> now, it's good that we have chapter and verse divisions because it helps us navigate the text. The problem is we think if it's got a number in front of it, you can just take it out of that context and make it say whatever you want. But the only place you can do that is Proverbs, because Proverbs are meant to be these little pithy statements. Everything else has a context to them. you got to figure out what's around it to figure out the true meaning. And so when Jesus said, judge not, did he stop right there? No, what did he say? He said, judge not, lest you be judged by the same standard you judge others. You'll be judged by that standard. So before you try and take the speck out of your brother's eye, take the log out of your own eye first. Then you'll be better, at help, better able to help your brother, you hypocrite which is a judgment, by the way. Now, is Jesus telling us not to judge? No, he's telling us to take the speck out of our brother's eye. That involves making a judgment. He's simply saying, get that problem out of your life first so you can better help your brother. So this is not a command not to judge. It's actually a command on how to judge. Don't judge hypocritically. Everybody makes judgments. Atheists make judgments. What judgments do they make? Well, there's no God. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Bible's not true. There's no meaning to life. These are all judgments. The question isn't whether or not you can make judgments. The question is, are your judgments true? And by the way, Jesus went after people like the Pharisees. They were making judgments all the time. And he was judging them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Oh, you look great on the outside. You're whitewashed tombs, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. You go a mile to make a convert, and then once you make them a convert, you make them twice as much a son of hell as you are. How will you avoid being condemned to hell? What? 
sweet and gentle Jesus said this? Yes, Jesus was not Barney. Okay. Can't we all get along, boys and girls? No! I came to bring a sword. It's going to divide mother and daughter, father and son. Jesus was tough. Don't bind this idea that he didn't make judgments. He did. He did. By the way, notice one other thing about judging. You ever notice that when you compliment somebody, nobody gets upset? You know, if you say to your best friend, you know, I really love you. You're such a wonderful person. I wish I could be like you. You think your friend's going to go, who do you think you are to judge me? Right? <laughs> Nobody's ever going to say that. Because I've noticed that people don't have a problem with judging. They just have a problem with judgments they don't like. Wow. Right? And if you tell somebody something that's true and they get all mad at you, you just help convict them. As Augustine said, we love the truth when it enlightens us. We hate the truth when it convicts us. For you military people in here, and by the way, I was in the Navy for eight years, which stands for never again volunteer yourself. Anyway, <laughs> for you military people in here, you always get more flack when you're over the target. If you tell somebody something that's true and they're shooting back at you, you're over the target. They don't want their evil deeds exposed. So don't buy into this idea you can't make judgments. Don't buy into this idea that... There is no truth. Obviously, there's truth. And I want to just summarize this whole section this way. If somebody says there's no truth, can everyone see that this statement shoots itself? Can everyone see that? Okay, good, good. So there is truth out there, which means what? Relativism and postmodernism are false because they say it's true that there's no truth. So unfortunately, much of what is being taught in college today is postmodernism which is a problem because it says it's true that there's no truth. You're literally paying thousands of dollars to have some professor say, I don't have the truth and neither do you. Why am I here then? What's the point, right? One last thing before we go on to the next question, does God exist? You can't really get away from objective truth except temporarily. And what do you do? You suppress it. You know what's true but you suppress it because you want to go your own way. You want to do your own thing. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1, by the way, which is why I asked this. Penny said we go to a lot of college campuses and present this and then have an open mic, and it's true. And what we do is um, at the open mic, if an atheist gets up to the microphone or even somebody who's just not a Christian and they express any hostility at all, I'll normally stop and I'll ask this question. And I think this is a question you can ask anybody. If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? I've had atheists stand in front of that microphone in front of hundreds of people and say, no. No. I thought you claimed to be reasonable. How is it reasonable that you wouldn't believe something that were true? Because the problem isn't here. The problem's here. They don't want it to be true. They don't want there to be a God. Why? Because they want to be God of their own lives. They're not on a truth quest. They're on a happiness quest. And they're just going to believe whatever they think is going to make them happy. Here's the problem. You can make yourself happy over the short term, doing a lot of fun, but ultimately destructive things. Yet over the long term, it's a disaster. And everyone in this room who's over 40 knows what I'm talking about because many of us have tried it ourselves, right? Gee, that didn't work out. And as you, you probably already know this because we're living in this culture right now, but there's a new religion in America. You know what the religion is? It's the religion of sex. Just about everything we argue over has something to do with sex. And a lot of people will reject Jesus because Jesus is going to get in the way of what they want to do sexually. 
That's why I asked them, if Jesus wanted you to live celibate until you married a person of the opposite sex, would you do it? Would you follow him if he really is God? You know what the answer is in most cases? Nope. Okay. But don't call yourself a Christian and disagree with Jesus. How can you be a Christian and disagree with Jesus? Why would you call yourself a Christian if you're disagreeing with Jesus? Look, I just have a personal policy. If somebody rises from the dead, I just believe whatever the guy says. <laughs> All right, so the next question is, does God exist? We know the truth exists. The next question is, does God exist? And I mentioned there are three arguments. We don't have time to go into depth on any of these. I'm just going to mention them here. They're all in the book. First argument for God, beginning of the universe, known as the cosmological argument. Cosmological comes from the Greek word cosmos, which means world or universe. And it says if the universe had a beginning, it must have had a beginner. The second argument is the argument from design, known as the teleological argument, technically. And teleological just comes from the word telos, which means design or purpose. It says if there's design in the universe and design in you, say human life, there must be a designer. Now, these two arguments have scientific evidence behind them. The third argument doesn't have any science behind it. It's more philosophical in nature. But it's the argument everyone in here has intuitively known since you were a very small child. And it's the argument from morality known as the moral argument. And it says if there's one thing morally wrong out there, just one, like it's wrong to torture babies for fun, or it's wrong to enslave people because of their race, then there has to be a God. Why? Because if there is no standard beyond humanity then that's just your opinion against a baby torturer's opinion or your opinion against a slavery owner's opinion or your opinion against Hitler's opinion or your opinion against a murderer's opinion. Well, we know these things aren't just a matter of opinion. If that's the case, there must be a standard of goodness, of righteousness outside of ourselves, an authoritative standard, which would be God's nature. And any deviation from that nature would be what we would call evil. Now, as I say, we don't have time to look into all these. We're just going to have a little bit of time to look at number one, the beginning. Now, you got to admit, it was worth getting up the, this morning just to see God move like that, wasn't it? I mean, I mean, look, some of you say, let's look at that again. I know some of you say, I've never seen God move. Oh, really? Look at this. Huh? He moved right there. Now, this argument from the beginning of the universe is the argument that many say points back to the big... Now, some of you are going, uh, Frank, you know, we're Christians in here. Uh, we don't believe in the Big Bang. You guys don't believe in the Big Bang? I believe in the Big Bang. I just know who banged it. <laughs> in fact, the evidence for the Big Bang is so good that you even have atheistic scientists like Stephen Hawking, who was the number one physicist in the world until he died about three years ago, saying things like this. Almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang. Now, Hawking tried to come up with another, uh, another explanation other than God. He failed, but he's admitting the data. What's the data? That space, time, and matter literally had a beginning. The universe had a beginning. Now, if that's really true, and just about every scientist and philosopher is now admitting this, if space, time, and matter had a beginning, what could have caused space, time, and matter to have a beginning? The cause can only be spaceless. Timeless, immaterial, powerful to create the universe out of nothing, personal in order to choose to create, because to go from a state of nothingness to a state of creation, someone had to make a choice, and only persons make choices. 
Also, the being would have to be intelligent in order to have a mind to make a choice. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when you think about a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, intelligent cause, who do you think of? God. You say, but how do you know it's the Christian God, Frank? We don't. Yet, we haven't done enough research yet. This could be Allah at this point. But if we keep doing the research, if we look at miracles and then the New Testament, what happened to Jesus, we're going to realize that the same being that walked out of the tomb 1,987 years ago is the same being in whose divine nature created the universe out of nothing. Now, we haven't gotten there yet, but we're heading there, okay? This could be the Christian God. We don't know it yet, okay? Now, for all the details, you've got to get the book, but let's now move on to the third question. Are miracles possible? Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention one other thing. If you combine those three arguments I just had up there, cosmological, teleological, and moral, you get a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, intelligent, moral being who created the entire universe and sustains the entire universe to this very moment. And we haven't even opened the Bible yet. You don't need the Bible to know this. This is just looking at science and philosophy and coming to these conclusions and going, I've got a God that looks like the God of the Bible. How do we know it's the God of the Bible? We've got to keep going. All right? So now we're going, are miracles possible? And this particular section here for many people is, oh, look, I've never seen a miracle. Miracles can't occur. And by the way, the miracles in the Bible are crazy. Like, for example, Noah and the ark. All right, let's not try and allow this to get out of the room. Let's just keep this little secret between ourselves. But can we all agree on one thing? Noah and the ark is crazy. Let's admit it right now. And a resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. How many people in here have seen somebody literally rise from the dead? Yeah, neither have I. Yet the entire Christian faith is built on believing something that none of us have ever seen. How rational is that? And for some reason, the big problem in the Bible, miracle problem, is Jonah. Is that a whale of a tale or a tale of a whale? What is the deal with Jonah? How can you believe in such a thing? Well, what is the greatest miracle in the Bible? No, it's not the resurrection. The resurrection is easy compared to the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle in the Bible is... I got some of you a second time. The greatest miracle in the Bible is the first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If that verse is true, every other verse is at least possible, right? Because if it's true that God can create the universe out of nothing, can he do any other miracle he wants to do inside the universe? Of course. Well, here's the interesting thing. We actually now have scientists admitting the data for the first miracle. Stephen Hawking, again, says... Almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang. He's admitting the data for the first verse. So if the first verse is true, is it possible these other verses are true? Of course it is. If God can create the universe out of nothing, can he do the Noah miracle, the Jonah miracle, the resurrection? These are easy. Of course they're crazy unless God exists. Now, some of you are going, well, Frank, you know, I've never seen a miracle, so how could I believe in such a thing? Well, Look, you believe in a lot of things you've never seen. You believe in your mind. Have you ever seen it? <laughs> You're using it right now, I hope. You believe in the laws of logic. Have you ever seen those? Or the laws of mathematics. Have you ever seen those? No, they're immaterial. You believe in justice. Have you ever seen justice? 
Oh, you may have seen somebody act justly or unjustly, but you've never seen justice because it's not a physical thing. In fact, one of the debates I had many years ago with Christopher Hitchens, you guys know who Christopher Hitchens was? He was a brilliant British atheist who sounded more brilliant than he was because he had a British accent. <laughs> and uh, during one of our debates on a University of New Jersey, we had a, a, the Q&A came from the audience and asked Christopher, Christopher, what is love? And Christopher Hitchens being a materialist, in other words, he believes all that exists are materials, he had to come up with a materialistic answer. So he finally said, love is a chemical. And I said, don't tell that to your wife. Honey, why do you love me? Because I got the chemical today. Okay, tomorrow I don't know if I'll have the chemical. No, love is not a chemical. Love is an, love is an immaterial virtue grounded in the nature of God. If God doesn't exist, there's no such thing as love. It would be just your opinion. But we all believe in love. You've never seen gravity. Oh, Frank, come on. We see gravity all the time. Look at that. There's gravity right there. Nope, you're not seeing gravity. What are you seeing? You're seeing the effects of gravity. You know, we, we really don't even know what gravity is. Did you know that? And we're just seeing the effects of gravity. That's how we know God exists. We know God by his effects. We don't see him directly. He's an immaterial being. But we see his effects. We see a creation. That's the effect. We reason back to a cause, a creator. We see design in the universe and design in life. That's the effect. We reason back to a designer. We have a moral law written on our hearts. We know certain things are right and other things are wrong. We reason back to a moral law giver, God, his nature. So we reason from effect back to cause. That's what scientists do. They figure, they see an effect, they go, what caused this? That's what we're doing. You've never seen George Washington. Yet you believe he existed. Why? Because he's left effects behind that are best explained by the person known as George Washington. Same thing is true when it comes to Jesus. He's left effects behind that are best explained by the person known as Jesus. And he's also sent his Holy Spirit. He's a constant cause of an effect right now. One last thing on miracles people will say, well, first of all, you don't need modern-day miracles to show that Christianity is true. There could be no miracles since Jesus and the apostles, Christianity would still be true. Now, I think there have been miracles since then. Don't get me wrong. I'm simply saying you don't need modern-day miracles to show that Christianity is true. If Jesus rose from the dead, Christianity is true. And miracles have to be rare if they're going to get our attention. If miracles do occur today, they, they don't happen very often. Why? Because if they occurred all the time, you'd, you'd think they're regular events. You go, hey, this stuff happens all the time. What's the big deal, right? I mean, imagine if people rose from the dead routinely. What would the resurrection of Christ mean to us? Nothing. You go to somebody, you go, Jesus rose from the dead to prove he was God. And you go, so what? Uncle Leroy just rose from the dead two weeks ago. You know, now I got to give the inheritance back. No. It's got to be a rare event if it's going to get our attention. And the only way you can recognize a miracle, which is a special sign of God, sign from God, is against the backdrop of regular events that happen over and over again. Without those regular events that happen over and over again, you'd never be able to detect a miracle. It's got to be a rare event. So miracles do occur because the greatest miracle has already occurred. One last thing on miracles. Do you realize for atheism to be true? That every single spiritual experience and miracle claim in the history of the world has to be mistaken. Is that possible? That's possible. Is it reasonable? No. 
Now, everybody's been wrong about spiritual experiences and miracles throughout history. Highly unlikely they're all wrong. So finally, let's get to the key, the key question now. Is the New Testament true? We know that truth exists. We know that God exists. We know that miracles are possible. Now, is it true that Jesus rose from the dead? Because that's the central miracle we need to look at. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Now, there's a lot of evidence here, and I don't have time to go through it all. I'm just going to list it up here. This is all in the books. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist and stealing from God. These all begin with the letter E. This is evidence that the New Testament writers are telling the truth. They wrote early. They put eyewitness details in there that can be verified. They had embarrassing stories in there. I'll explain that in a minute. Excruciating deaths, embedded confirmation, expected predictions. That's Old Testament prophecy. Extra biblical writers mention the same kind of things. And the explosive growth of the church out of Jerusalem. That last one, number eight, it's almost impossible to explain how Christianity survived if Jesus was in the tomb, think about this. What could the Jews and the Romans have done to stop Christianity immediately? And they wanted to stop it immediately. What could they have done? They could have gone to the tomb. Everyone knew where the tomb was. Taken out his dead body and said, stop all this nonsense. Talk about the resurrection. They couldn't do that. Why? Because Jesus was still using his body, right? <laughs> the tomb was empty. It's hard to explain how this came out of Judaism unless Jesus rose from the dead. I just want to spend just a little bit of time only on one of these, and that is, number three, embarrassing stories. Embarrassing stories. Now, why is this important? Because for me, this is one of the factors that convinces me they're not making this up. What are embarrassing stories? Embarrassing stories go like this. If there's something embarrassing to the author or authors in the text, it's probably true. Why? Because you're not going to make up stories that make yourself look bad, that are going to embarrass you. You may make up stories that make you look good, right? But you're not going to make up stories that make you look bad. In fact, let me ask you guys a question. How many people in here have ever lied to make yourself look good? If you don't have your hand up right now, you're lying to make yourself look good. And it's not working. We know you're lying. All right, how many people in here have ever lied to make yourself look bad? No, you don't do that unless you're a pool shark or something, briefly, right? You don't lie to make yourself look bad. You might lie to make yourself look good. Well, the New Testament writers, and this is true of the Old Testament as well, but let's just look at the New Testament. The New Testament writers have filled the New Testament with embarrassing stories they never would have invented. For example, Peter, their leader, is called Satan by Jesus. Do you think they made this up? I mean, do you think at one point Mark said to Peter, Hey, Pete, I'm going to make this a real interesting story. I'm going to have the Lord call you Satan. What do you think Peter would have said? Have him call you Satan. Look, I'm the leader here. This isn't good. And then Peter, again, their leader says, Lord, I'll never deny you. What does he wind up doing? He winds up denying him three times after saying, I'll never deny you. And at the crucifixion, all the disciples, with the exception of maybe one, they all run away. This is like a Monty Python movie. Run away. They all run away. And who are the brave ones? The women. The women are the brave ones. Now, who wrote the New Testament down? Men. Now, what man? is going to invent that he was hiding for fear of the Jews why the women went down and discovered the empty tomb. Would any man here invent that? No. I mean, if I was there, I'd make myself look good. I'd write something down like this. Let's see. We marched right down there, and we overpowered that elite Roman guard. That sounds pretty good. What do you think? Yep. John said, get out. Peter, roundhouse, kicked him. Thomas said, we'll be back. And then on Sunday morning, we marched right down to the tomb, and we saw Jesus, who congratulated us on our great faith. 
And then we went and comforted the trembling women. I would never say I was Mr. Sissy Pants. Why the women went down and discovered the empty tomb. And oh, by the way, why would you never say the women were the first witnesses in that culture? Because a woman's testimony was not considered on par with that of a man. So if you're making up the New Testament story, you'd only have the men be the first witnesses. Yet all four Gospels say the women were the first witnesses, which is telling us what? They really were. It's embarrassing, but they're telling the truth. I actually had a lady come up to me once. She she said, Frank, I know why Jesus appeared to the women first. I said, why? And she said, because he wanted to get the story out. I said, that is an excellent point. I had not thought of that. Because, ladies, when your man comes home from work, does he say much? (laughs) There could have been a nuclear explosion down at the plant. He's not going to tell you. You'll see it on the news before you hear it from him. You'll be watching the news going, hey, hon, what? Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you the nuke blew up. I've been hot for three days. What's for dinner? He's not going to tell you. I can't even believe this next verse is actually in the New Testament, but it is. This is Matthew 28. This is the Great Commission. Jesus is there giving the Great Commission to his disciples. He says, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Notice he doesn't say make believers, right? There's a difference. Here at Freedom House, we're trying to make disciples, not just believers. Anyway, as he's standing there giving them the Great Commission, it says right there in verse 17 about his disciples who are standing there, some believe. But some doubted. He's standing physically resurrected in front of them. And they're going, you see that guy over there? Yep. That guy over there is Jesus. Oh, no, it can't be Jesus. He was just killed not long ago. No, I'm telling you, it's him. Jesus is dead. The Romans killed him. It's Jesus. Look, they put a spear in their side, in his side. Blood and water came out. His heart's punctured. They crucified him. Romans know how to kill people. Jesus is dead. It's him. It can't be. It is. How do you know? The women told me. (laughs) They're not making this up. There's even potentially embarrassing details about Jesus in there. He's called a drunkard. He's called demon-possessed. You think they made this up? The Lord is demon-possessed. He has his feet wiped with the hair of a prostitute, which easily could have been seen as a sexual advance. And, oh, by the way, notice there are two prostitutes in Jesus, the Messiah's bloodline. Who are they? Rahab and Tamar. Do you think Matthew and Luke, when they were doing the genealogy, said, you know what, I really think we ought to spice up the Messiah's bloodline a little bit. Let's put a couple of prostitutes in there. What do you think? (laughs) No! They're just making, they're just telling the truth. They're not making this up. This is not an invented story. There's many more of these in the book, but the main point here is, is that they're not making this up. Now, what I'm about to say might sound heretical for you that believe that the Bible's inerrant as I do, but it's not. Just stick with me. Because what we need to understand is that all the writers of the New Testament, with the exception of Luke, were all Jewish believers in Yahweh. They were all Jews, okay? Why would they make up this invented story? Why would they invent a story about Jesus resurrecting from the dead? What did they get for saying Jesus had risen from the dead. They got kicked out of the synagogue, and then they got beaten, tortured, and killed. Last time I checked, that was not a list of perks, right? You don't make stuff up to get yourself beaten, tortured, and killed, okay? In any event, the point I want to make here is is that Christianity is not true because a series of documents we put under one binding we call the Bible says it's true. 
In fact, Christianity would be true if the Bible never existed. You go, how can that be? Because Christianity did not originate with an event, or I should say a book, it originated with an event, the resurrection. The guys that told you about this didn't read it in a book. They wrote the book. <laughs> they saw what happened. And then they wrote it down. Do you realize there were thousands of Christians before a line of the New Testament was ever written? How? Because they read a book? No, because they witnessed the resurrected Jesus. Why did Paul write the book of Romans? Because he witnessed the resurrected Jesus. Why did John write the gospel of John? Because he witnessed the resurrected Jesus. Why did Matthew write the... You get the idea, right? In fact, we can put it this way. The New Testament writers did not create the resurrection. The resurrection created the New Testament writers. You wouldn't have a New Testament written by Jews in the first century that said Jesus rose from the dead unless he did because they got nothing but abuse for saying it. So they wrote it down so we could order our lives according to it. Now, it's true. We wouldn't know much about it unless they had written it down. But they didn't write it down and create it. The resurrection created them to write it down. Okay, so... The reason I'm telling you this is because a lot of Christians will say to non-believers, you really, really ought to believe in Christianity because the Bible says so. That would be like a Muslim coming to you and saying, you ought to believe in Islam because the Quran says so. What are you going to say? I don't believe in the Quran. You've got to give me evidence the Quran is true. Same thing is true here. You've got to give them evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. So, if you want to go further, again... Text the word evidence to 44222. I'll see you at the book table if you want to go further. But you know what the beauty of all this is? Is that someone actually did die for you. Jesus of Nazareth. Now, when I was in the Navy, I was in naval aviation. So we had to earn wings, which were hard enough to earn. But there's nothing more difficult in any military to earn than a golden trident. That's what the SEALs wear. Very few people that start SEAL training make it through. Those that do, however, wear that trident with pride. It's literally their identity in the military. They're very proud of their identity, that trident. When Michael Monsoor was buried in California in Rosecrans Cemetery just outside of San Diego, just about every Navy SEAL on the West Coast showed up for his funeral. And when they passed his casket, they took off their tridents and they pressed them into his casket. They took their identity and put their identity in the one that died for them. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to put our identity in the one who died for us, our Savior. But our culture doesn't tell us that. Our culture says, put your identity in your political party or put your identity in your race. There's only one race, the human race. Or put your identity in your sexual orientation or put your identity in your bank account or put your identity in your vocation or your denomination or put your identity in anything other but Jesus. But the truth of the matter is we're all meant to, put, to recognize that our identity is in Jesus. In fact, in Christianity, you don't achieve your identity you receive your identity. About a year and a half ago, I was at a prison in Ohio, and I know we have some folks watching from the detention center here in Charlotte, and I told the inmates, after I went through some of this with them, I said, I don't know why you're in here, but do you realize that you can have the same identity that people on the outside have? 
Because in Christianity, you don't achieve your identity, you receive your identity. And an eyewitness to all this, his name was John. He wrote the Gospel of John. In the very first chapter of his book, he writes that you have the right to become a child of God by accepting what Christ has done, by receiving what he has done. Have you ever done that? Have you ever received the free gift of salvation? Because everyone in here has fallen short. Everyone in here has sinned. And what Jesus has come and done, he's not only taken our punishment on himself, he's also given you his righteousness if you accept it. But if you don't want to accept it, God will not force you into heaven against your will. If you don't want him now, you're not going to want him in eternity. So has everyone in here accepted the free gift? And if you haven't, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you accept it? It's free. For those of you online, have you ever accepted the free gift that Christ provides? The God of the universe adds flesh to his deity, comes to earth, allows the very creatures that rebelled against him to torture and kill him so he could be punished in your place, and then he gives you his righteousness? Have you ever accepted that? If not, why not? It's free. You can raise your hand online. You can raise your hand in here if you'd like to accept Christ right now. Or you can chat online because there are folks from Freedom House Church that will chat with you and bring you into the kingdom. Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's anyone watching or anyone here who has never accepted the free gift that you have provided, that today would be the day they would. And for those of us that have already accepted the free gift, are we going to let other people know about this? That's why we're here, to know God and to make him known. Are we doing that? Or are we just sitting at home? unable to share or unwilling to share the greatest news that could ever be shared. I pray you'd give us courage to do that, especially in a time like now when people are open to eternity. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.